You're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans for Ohio State fans on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, everyone from San Francisco. I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Saturday, August 29th, and I'm here to recap and react to the developments in and around Ohio State football and college football from over the last week. There have been a lot of developments, a lot to unpack. I want to get right to it. But first, if you're an Ohio State fan who's still enraged about the Big Ten's decision to protect the health and futures of young student-athletes in the midst of a global pandemic by postponing fall sports, while I can't relate to you right now, I would like to try and be of service to you because you're probably not going to like what I have to say today. However, there are other places you can go where you will be indulged. The contributors over at Bucknuts are still at full froth and would be more than happy to have you. Their commander-in-chief, Dave Biddle, just published a piece for that site with the headline, Big Ten Worn on Brink of Biggest Blunder in Sports History. I invite you to go check that piece out, as well as their other content. Former Ohio State linebackers Bobby Carpenter and Anthony Schlegel are still throwing red meat to angry Ohio State fans on their radio show, Morning Juice, on 97.1 The Fan. If you're not done beating your head against the impenetrable wall that is the Big Ten's decision to postpone fall sports, then go get you some Morning Juice with Carpenter and Schlegel. Enjoy and God bless. Okay, so let's start with some really good news. Earlier this week, the Food and Drug Administration issued emergency use authorization of a new rapid COVID-19 antigen test called Binax Now from Abbott that produces results in 15 minutes. The test is going to retail for five bucks. You'll have to go through your health provider to get it. It also comes with a mobile app for iPhone and Android called Navica, which will allow people who test negative to display a temporary digital health pass that renews each time a person is retested. Starting in September, Abbott will begin shipping tens of millions of tests, ramping up to 50 million by the beginning of October. Now, what's still a little unclear is how soon college football programs will be able to get their hands on these tests, but this is obviously great news. Yesterday, it was reported by the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, as well as many other national college football writers, including Yahoo's Pete Thamel, Dennis Dodd of CBS, and Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, that Big Ten athletic directors and coaches are exploring several return-to-play models that include start dates ranging from the weekend of Thanksgiving to after the Super Bowl. According to Pete Thamel, the model with the late November start date has a 10 plus 1 schedule. That's 10 conference games plus one non-conference matchup. Now, it's worth noting that these are just the ADs and coaches spitballing right now. University presidents I, I don't think are involved. That's the, the reports have not been that university presidents, the real decision makers here, are, have been involved in these discussions. And those are the folks that will have the final say. And of course, they're going to need to have another close look at where all the key COVID-19 metrics like community transmission are before they can approve any return to play model. So I would not get attached to that late November start date. I mean, if it happens, great. But at this point, I think you'd only be setting yourself up for disappointment if you really invest in that. These discussions all seem very preliminary, you know, and again, they don't involve any of the university administrators who are going to be making the final decisions. 
Plus, you know, look, if the average American in the Big Ten footprint isn't going to do his or her part to help bring community transmission down, it's not really going to matter what the Big Ten's best laid plans are. The average American, the average Big Ten fan has a very important role to play here. You got to wear a mask, socially distance, and avoid large gatherings. That's the role that we all have to play to get Big Ten football playing again. Not surprisingly, the reaction from Buckeye Twitter to these proposed return to play scenarios was the internet equivalent of taking a big steaming dump right on top of them <laughs> and on top of anyone who expressed any interest or enthusiasm in them. Lots of people still having a very tough time turning the page here, still, you know, clinging to the fantasy that Ohio State might play in the fall. Personally, I was enthused to read about these proposals. I'm excited about what comes next. Whether it's a late November or early January start, I'm going to watch with great interest and enthusiasm, you know, even if there's no playoff or national title at stake. I, you know, I think back to the 2012 season, and I watched that season with great interest and enjoyment, even though that team was not eligible to compete for a conference or a national title because they were serving a, a postseason ban that year. But it was fun for me to watch Braxton Miller and Ryan Shazier, you know, players like that emerge as budding stars. And that comeback win over Purdue that season was a great moment. I'm always going to remember that as one of Ohio State's great regular season wins. So that's that's how I'm going to treat a winter season if it happens. That, there'd still be a lot for me to enjoy. And the truth is, I'm in no position right now as a fan to make demands about how and when I get my Buckeye football. I'm going to take it when and however I can get it. You know, the truth is, we're all being held hostage by this damn virus. And you're not in any position to make demands when you're being held hostage. That's that's the unfortunate truth right now. Earlier this week, a piece from the staff at Wolverine's Digest, an affiliate site of Sports Illustrated, made the rounds on Buckeye Twitter that claims if the Big Ten had voted today, it would not have canceled the fall season. Citing several anonymous sources both within the Big Ten headquarters and at Big Ten institutions, the piece describes a very messy decision-making process in which first-year Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren was caught between his loyalties to university presidents and Big Ten athletic directors. The piece claims university presidents were under the misapprehension that they would be commended, not criticized, for putting the well-being of student-athletes ahead of football. Shame on the presidents for thinking that. Now, this is the part of the piece that stood out to me, and I'm going to quote it here. Quote, Interestingly, sources in Ann Arbor, in Columbus, Lincoln, Madison, East Lansing, and State College all believe that if the Big Ten vote was held today instead of 14 days ago, the conference would not have voted to postpone the season outright. The league might have announced it was moving the season back to late September, but the din from players, coaches, fans, the media, and most importantly, big money donors has created cracks. End quote. Now, I find it very hard to believe that a Michigan fan site has legitimate sources at six other Big Ten institutions with actual knowledge of how the presidents at those universities would have voted today. And I find it very hard to believe that if any of those administrators had doubts about their decisions and were rethinking their positions, that they'd be doing it out loud in front of an audience. If this story had any real legs, Pat Forty would be writing about it for Sports Illustrated, not these guys, not Wolverine's Digest. 
Now, I've not seen or heard what this piece is claiming reported by any other legitimate news outlets. Now, this piece from Wolverine's Digest also claims the Big Ten was mocked by the SEC, ACC, and Big 12. Now, that I believe. I've already seen some fans and even several media personalities who cover the SEC, like Paul Feinbaum and Barrett Salee, take shots at the Big Ten. Yesterday, Feinbaum said on his radio show that five weeks ago, the Big Ten was the gold standard when it came to college athletics. And now it's a laughing stock, a punchline. We know from a recent piece by Bill Landis on The Athletic that one of, the, one of those schools from SEC, ACC, Big 12, we don't know which, tried to use the fact that Ohio State will not be playing this fall against them on the recruiting trails. 2022 Ohio State recruit Tegra Shabola told Bill that one school told him, quote, look at this for the future. You have talent that can't be wasted. You can't take a year off, end quote. So it's not much of a stretch at all to think part of the motivation for these conferences to play this fall, the SEC especially, is it'll give them a competitive advantage over the Big Ten in the coming years. Now, clearly, there are larger motivations at play than just that, but I would not be surprised if the SEC is looking smugly over at the Big Ten, thinking it now has some sort of leg up. I mean, look, part of what makes college football great is how regionalized the sport is, how provincial and petty the fans can be. These conferences are constantly comparing themselves to one another. You know, whether it's results on the field or a big recruiting win or a school being slapped with NCAA sanctions, fans in the SEC relish every opportunity to stick it to Big Ten fans and vice versa. All I can say about the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, their fans, and the media personalities who cover those conferences who might be thumbing their nose at the Big Ten right now is people who live in glass houses should not throw stones. Here's why I say that. According to Sooner's Wire on Tuesday, Oklahoma head coach Lincoln Riley said all but one player in an entire position group, now he didn't identify the position group, had tested positive for coronavirus. Also in the Big 12, on Tuesday, Texas Tech announced 21 new cases within its football program. What is that, 20% of their roster? According to The Advocate, on Wednesday, all but four of LSU's offensive linemen have either tested positive or were determined to have high-risk exposure to COVID-19. Now, there are 16 offensive linemen currently listed on the LSU roster, meaning 12 of them are in quarantine right now. So if I'm understanding this correctly, right now, LSU is practicing with four scholarship offensive linemen. And I can only assume they're filling in these holes with tight ends and defensive linemen. So you can start to get a picture as we as we get closer to the start of the season for a school like LSU, how the virus could be a problem. According to 24-7 Sports, Auburn's football team has not practiced since Tuesday because of COVID-19 concerns. According to the state, the University of Tennessee had to cancel football practices yesterday, Friday, because of players testing positive for the virus. And we already know, this was reported earlier this week, in the ACC, NC State's season opener with Virginia Tech had to be moved from September 12th to the 26th because of coronavirus concerns within the Wolfpack's program. And that's one of three season openers that's already been postponed. Marshall and East Carolina is another. There's a third I can't remember, but already three season openers have been postponed because of coronavirus concerns. Now, this is not to mention that university presidents across the South are freaking out about transmission rates on their campuses since students arrived. They're pleading with students to behave responsibly, in some cases threatening 
suspensions for not following the rules. Late last night, we learned the coronavirus case count at the University of Alabama has swelled to over a thousand since students returned to campus two weeks ago. That count also includes faculty and staff. So, you know, older folks, folks that aren't 18 to 21 years old in the prime of their lives at, you know, peak health. I'm looking at a coronavirus case map for U.S. colleges and universities on the New York Times right now. Again, this is specific to U.S. colleges and universities. The following schools have the 10 highest case counts in the country by a very wide margin. University of Alabama, Birmingham. UNC Chapel Hill, who's already gone to remote learning. University of Central Florida, Alabama, Auburn, NC State, who's also gone to remote learning. University of Georgia, Texas A&M, Texas, and lastly, Notre Dame. Normally at this time of year, you want to be in the top 10, but not on this list. Later tonight, Austin P. and Central Arkansas will more than likely pull off the first college football game of 2020, we think. Now to me, this is only the very first scene of a long movie with lots of plot twists. I mean, look, this is Dr. Shivago. We just sat down and we barely had any of our popcorn and milk duds. We're not anywhere close to intermission. Now, some people are going to act like Austin P. in Central Arkansas is the final scene, that the Big Ten and Pac-12 were wrong. They're idiots. Roll the credits. I'm not so sure about that. I, I still think we've got a very long way to go here in this saga. I heard a very interesting interview with an infectious disease specialist from Yale, Dr. Sten Vermund. And I'd like to play a brief clip from that interview for you right now. This is courtesy of Sports Pulse. Check it out. Pretty much the worst thing you could do in a respiratory viral pandemic is travel and engage in, in close contact, like a contact sport. Um, and, um, you know, the worst kind of travel, you go, then you come back. So you go to City X, you have bad luck and contract coronavirus, you bring it back home. Now you've got an outbreak on your campus. I, I would be at a loss to know how the logic for the ACC and SEC would be radically different from the Pac-12 and the Big Ten because uh, their circumstances are very similar, uh, except for the fact that there is actually more transmission in many of the SEC schools, ACC states, than there is in some of the Pac-12 states, for example. So if anything, you would think that they'd be less likely to play. So... Dr. Vermund isn't really mincing his words here, right? He's, he's not saying, eh, probably not a good idea. I wouldn't advise it. No, he's saying pretty much the worst thing you can do right now is get on a plane, engage in close contact with other people, get back on a plane and fly back to your community. So it's a very fragile existence for the SEC, ACC, and Big 12 right now. Let, let's be very clear about what they're doing. All three of those conferences are ignoring the advice of scores of medical experts and epidemiologists like Dr. Vermund to play an amateur game with unpaid athletes who have no representation during a pandemic that's already taken 180,000 American lives. You've got Ohio State fans who are looking longingly over at these conferences right now. I don't know that they're in a very enviable position. 
And you don't have to take my word for it, okay? Or Dr. Vermund's word for it. I have a quote here from someone else that I think is pretty illuminating. Here it goes. Quote, whatever conferences decide to play football this fall will be taking a ridiculously high risk they may soon regret. I know and have talked with some of the best plaintiffs lawyers in the country this week, and they're praying the SEC, Big 12, and or the ACC are greedy enough to stay the course. If things go sideways, the plaintiff's bar will immediately get their hands on the internal financial analyses of those schools, get the conference financials through the discovery process, then just stand in front of the jurors and point to the conferences that decided not to risk the health of their student-athletes. Good Lord, I'd hate to be the lawyers defending those cases. End quote. Now that is a quote that famed college sports attorney Tom Mars provided to Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated just a couple of weeks ago. Buckeye fans will recognize that name, Tom Mars. It was Mars who got Justin Fields' immediate eligibility to play for Ohio State last season after transferring from Georgia. Well, now Mars has entered the fray from the opposite side, advising player parents on how to attack the Big Ten for the way it handled its decision to postpone fall sports. Mars has started digging into emails between university administrators and other public records for anything he can use to to, to litigate the Big Ten back onto the field this fall. The comments Mars provided Pat 42 weeks ago suggest the Big Ten did the right thing by its student-athletes in postponing. Now he's attempting to expose the conference for the way it arrived at that very same decision. I don't know. To me, Mars is talking out of both sides of his mouth. I'm not sure he's your knight in shining armor here, Buckeye fans. And actually... The far more compelling records to sift through would be the emails between administrators in the SEC, ACC, and Big 12. They're the ones putting football ahead of player and community health and safety. It would be very interesting to know what those conversations look like. Speaking of lawyers, eight Nebraska football players filed a lawsuit against the Big Ten on Thursday seeking a reversal of the Big Ten's decision to postpone fall sports. The suit claims wrongful interference with business expectations and breach of contract. If you want more detail on the lawsuit, check out the piece Evan Bland wrote for Omaha.com. That piece will also link you to a PDF of the lawsuit if you really want to dig into the details. It's worth mentioning that the lead attorney on this case is Mike Flood, who's a state senator running for re-election. So reasonable to expect that win or lose, Flood stands to add some votes in the state of Nebraska for his re-election. So I, I, I find that a little gross that he's taking on this case. To me, it seems like a re-election ploy, but I don't, what do I know? In response to the suit, the Big Ten said in a statement, quote, We share the disappointment that some student-athletes and their families are feeling. However, this lawsuit has no merit, and we will defend the decision to protect all student-athletes as we navigate through this global pandemic. We are actively considering options to get back to competition and look forward to doing so when it's safe to play, end quote. So, you know, this is way out of my strike zone. I am no legal expert, but from what I'm reading and hearing, this case has no real merit. Legal analyst Daniel Wallach said in a piece by The Athletic's Mitch Sherman, the suit is unlikely to succeed because the accusation of wrongful interference is based in part on a name, image, and likeness statute that has not yet gone into effect. Wallach also said the breach of contract count is questionable because the player's contractual relationship is actually with the University of Nebraska and not the Big Ten. There was also an interesting tweet related to this suit from Warren Zola, who's a sports lawyer in Boston. Zola said, quote, this suit seems destined to fail. How is this different than schools stopping a football game during lightning? 
public policy and common sense deem it unsafe, end quote. I really like that quote. I, I mean, it simplified it in a way that I can understand it as somebody who's not a legal expert, but it also expressed a sentiment that I've been feeling all along about the Big Ten's decision to postpone fall sports. Common sense. Common sense. Common sense along with science and the advice of medical experts are, are what guided the Big Ten's decision here. Yesterday, I was remembering back to the late summer of 1985. I was in eighth grade. I went to the drugstore and I bought two copies of Athlon's College Football Preview Magazine. If you're a big college football fan like me and you're long in the tooth, you're going to remember that magazine. I cut out all the pictures of Big Ten football players from the magazines and I made a collage on a big piece of poster board and hung it up on my bedroom wall. All of my favorite Buckeyes, Mike Tomczak, Keith Byers, Chris Carter, Pepper Johnson, Chris Spielman, were in the collage. I also had Chuck Long, Ronnie Harmon, and Larry Station of Iowa, Jack Trudeau, Thomas Rooks, Craig Swoop of Illinois, Al Toon from Wisconsin, Lorenzo White from Michigan State, Jim Everett, and Rod Woodson from Purdue. I also made a handwritten version of Ohio State's 1985 schedule with my little sister's crayon collection, and I hung it next to the collage. I remember writing out the schedule and being meticulous about using the right school colors for each opponent. You know, for Illinois, it had to be navy and orange. Indiana, it was crimson and white. Iowa, black and gold. Michigan, of course, maize and blue. I've loved the Big Ten since I was a kid, and I still love it today. I want Big Ten football back this year as bad as anyone, but not at the expense of the health and safety of Big Ten players and Big Ten communities. I think most of the criticism the conference is getting right now is unfair. And I hate the way the Big Ten is being portrayed in the media right now. I mean, it hurts me to the core as a, an Ohio State fan and a Big Ten football fan of 40 years. And I don't like watching how Big Ten fans have turned on the conference. It's painful to watch. It really bums me out. I hope as Big Ten fans, we can all get back to a happy place real soon where we can talk about football, talk about position battles instead of coronavirus case counts and conditions like myocarditis. I really, really hope that. Even if, we're, if we have opposing views right now of whether Ohio State should be on the field, I think we can all, we're all united in our love for Ohio State football and for Big Ten football. And I hope we can get back to a really happy place sometime in the near future. That's going to do it for me, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you soon. And until then, keep your chins up, Buckeye fans. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.